what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. In this episode of The Written Compass, I'm going to dive into the idea of writing as an act of freedom. And in order to set the stage for that, I'm going to talk a little bit about how the way we are taught language, writing, and things of that sort, typically in a school setting, can be oppressive, particularly to certain marginalized communities. And I'm going to talk about how that can be impactful for us as business owners when we are trying to share our message or when we are trying to write our powerful messages in a book. It can be a real deterrent if we have not felt like our voices, our language are acceptable and worth hearing. Now, I want to give a little bit of a warning for this episode. Everyone knows that I come from an education background and I love teachers. However, inherent in the structure of school and the system of education are disparities, are prejudices, are injustices. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that, not to bash teachers, because everyone has good intentions, I truly believe, in the system. However, I am going to speak to some of those complex issues within the education system. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Have you ever been judged for your language? Really, I want you to take a moment to think of a time when you were made very aware of your words, whether they were words you had spoken or words you had written. And I want you to think about how did that feel? How did it feel to suddenly be very, very aware of your words. Well, today I want to use this second episode of The Written Compass to continue to set the tone of the podcast because, see, I believe writing is truly an act of freedom. And so when I work with heart-centered business owners in getting their messages out in a book, we work from that common belief of the power of writing, of writing as an act of freedom. And many business owners and entrepreneurs highly value freedom. It's almost a top level value when we kind of do that value work with each other. And it's amazing to allow their embodied book writing process to help them honor that value of freedom. However, most of my clients also come to me with a long history and heavy baggage around writing experiences that did not feel very free. So today, I want to use the episode to discuss some of the roots of writing as an act of oppression versus freedom. And I also want to connect those historical roots to why you may be feeling blocked from writing your book or sharing your message in a way that is really authentically you. So I'm going to start with sharing um, a particular article. In 2010, the Iowa Journal of Cultural Studies published Vershawn Ashanti Young's article titled, Should Writers Use They Own English? In that article, he presents a term. This term is called standard language ideology, and he actually got this term from a uh, uh, 
author and researcher that I'm very familiar with, Rosina Lippy Green's idea of dominant language ideology. Now, I love Lippy Green's work, and I've used her a lot in previous classes that I've taught on language and power in society um, through her book, English with an Accent. Go check it out if you haven't, even if you're not in academia. I think it's a really cool book. But Young's term, standard language ideology, basically means that there is an ideal language that most folks in school and also in society believe is, quote, ideal or acceptable. He explains it like this. I'm going to read a quote. Standard language ideology is the belief that there is one set of dominant language rules that stem from a single dominant discourse, like standard English, that all writers and speakers of English must conform to in order to communicate effectively, end quote. So this ideology and belief does not leave much choice, you can see, for folks who enter the school setting at the ripe young age of five or six, not already fluent in this, quote, ideal language. And what happens is they have a choice. It becomes really clear pretty early on, either conform, figure out how to perform and use this ideal language, or you might struggle. So this, my friends, is really wrong to me. And it leads to a very prescriptive view of language and writing. So I want to go back to that opening exercise. Were you able to think of a time where you were made very aware of your language? I'm going to guess you could. Or maybe you've been the person to make someone else very aware of their language. English teachers, unfortunately, when we say, oh, what do you do? I'm an English teacher. The very first thing someone says is, oh, I better watch my language around you or, oh, hope you don't read my grammar. We automatically get stigmatized as going to be the oppressor. But either way, whether you had an idea that you could think of, an example, or whether you feel like you've been the oppressor in some way, shape or form, these ideas of standard are often taught to us in school. And it's really easy to see how diverse dialects of language can get silenced and oppressed pretty quickly. So when I talk about writing as an act of freedom, what I want to honor is how there are few things more precious and powerful than sharing our voice or experiencing the voice of others. Whether spoken or written in some form of expression, our voices matter. They so matter. Yet often the ways we're taught language and writing in school is problematic and doesn't honor this mattering, so to speak. On the most basic level, the goal of writing is often flawed because it seems to focus on teaching every person that walks through the doors that there's one effective language for communication, maybe one way to write that or express that language. And I saw this firsthand in my 20 plus years as an English teacher. My students would often come into class with very clear understandings of right ways to write and wrong ways to write. When I taught high school and college English, I could see right away if the students had um, natural or home language and whether that was supported or not in their previous educational experiences, or if they had been indoctrinated into Young's idea that I shared earlier of standard language ideology. And I would always start the semester with a really lovely letter writing activity. It was just something that really helped me connect to my students. I would write a dear student's letter 
telling the class a bit about myself and what they could expect in the class. I would read it to them on the first day. Yes, I would read it to them whether they were sophomores in high school or whether they were graduate students. It was a really cool moment in class and a a wonderful way to really connect with them. And then I would ask them to write me back. And as I read and responded to each of them with a quick note, I was always disheartened by how many students would share a similar kind of warning message in their letter. It was like they were preparing me for something. And it was something like this. I'd see, quote, you've got your work cut out for you because I'm not a good writer, or I'm bad at grammar, or I always struggled in English, or my teachers always had to correct my errors. And they often ended the letter with something like, I hope I can do better in your class. Can you feel that? The oppression that was oozing from the page was evident, and we had not even started the course. I shake my head, like even now, just thinking about those moments, because they're hard. I can feel how silenced my students felt. And again, we hadn't even gotten started. I hadn't even asked them really to do the first major writing assignment. I just wanted to hear a little bit about their history, but it was intentional because my role in these students' writing journeys became pretty clear for me. My goal, I really felt like, was to support them in embodying their voice, support them in finding freedom through writing. And this is much of the same way that I work with business owners now. And I know you may be saying, but Shana, business owners aren't college students. Yes, I know that is true. However, I'm guessing many of you listening right now could tell me five to 10 errors you make in your language or all the ways you do or do not use standard English, for example. And why do you know it's an error? Why do you know it's not standard? Because someone who felt compelled to uphold that idea of standard language ideology pointed it out to you. And so as I'm reflecting I want to use this episode to kind of share this pattern that I'm seeing in business book writing and in that world. I think it reflects this inherent goal of ideal language that we find often in schools. And what I'm noticing is a lot of silence. I'm noticing a lack of representation. Let's just think about it for a minute. If you did not enter the halls of school possessing the expected standards of language, then you either had to conform, meaning begin at least writing, if not speaking, like someone you were not, or you struggled. And that struggle may have meant you weren't able to do a lot of things in your school setting, like access higher level classes, or you might have even received poor grades. But here's the rub. Very few people actually enter school without some kind of dialect variation than this ideal standard. That's because language is rich, diverse quilt of who we are, where we're from, who our ancestors were, and how we identify today. And the idea of standard in any language is completely a social construct, and it's often used as a veil. Striving for something like an ideal version of language is a veil sometimes for racism, patriarchy, xenophobia, sexism, and any number of other oppressive acts. It typically only serves a historically prioritized group of people. You can read this as white, middle to upper class folks. 
And I know this because I very much fit into that category as a white middle-class woman, and I've witnessed the power of my language just because I learned to turn down my natural dialect, which came from Southern. (laughs) So my y'alls and I declares and bless your hearts would get swapped out for a more standard, right, or more conformist version of my speaking and writing, or at least I used to do that. The kicker is this prioritization is seen in the publishing world for business and personal growth books as well. And I'm really here to say, to kind of put a line in the sand, that we are so done with this. Can you raise your hand and say, yes, I am done too. And so I want to kind of look now at the business section of most bookstores, whether that be online or an actual shelf. You're likely going to see much of the same from one cover to the next, It's likely going to be pale, male, and stale, as my good friend and coach Laura Wright likes to say. Fortune.com reported that in 2020, of the year's 200 best-selling business books, only 17 were written by women. The article goes on to share why this is a major problem and starts to unpack it even further. It says, quote, why is the absence of women, especially BIPOC women, a problem? Because it distorts everybody's perception of what the ideal leader and innovator, and I would say business book writer, looks like. It adds to the tired narrative that women aren't daring risk takers, or I would add, worthy of being on these shelves. And it says changing who we choose to publish and read is an urgent step toward correcting this bogus narrative and expanding business opportunities for women everywhere. Now, we could easily swap that word women or BIPOC women out for any marginalized community. And I know that we can't personally, individually change the publishing business or necessarily what people read if more diverse voices like yours are not actually getting their writing out there in the first place. To change the narrative in the business and personal growth world, your narrative needs to get out in the world. I can't also change the structures of school. Trust me, I tried for many, many years and in many, many ways from my little English corner of whatever building I was in. But what I can do is show up and support the heck out of heart-centered business owners with amazing insights and stories in getting their words out into the world. So if you're ready to disrupt statistics like these and you're ready to share your powerful messages from your business and life, I want you to know that this podcast is here for you because there's a few things that I really, really need you to know. You are a writer. You have something to say and only you can say it in your amazing voice and dialect and identity and language. I truly believe we are all messaged beings, and I'm here to support writing as an act of freedom over oppression. I hope this podcast, this second episode, really got you excited. I'd love to continue to activate and continue to connect to and continue to inspire each other. So be sure you are sharing this and following me over on Shana Hartman underscore on Instagram. I'd love to hear what showed up for you, what comments you have, because I want this common idea of writing as an act of freedom to really get out in the world. So here I'm going to leave you with a a little writing embodiment exercise that you can do. What I want you to do is imagine 
that one person, that person you think of in your business or life that needs a particular message. I want you to imagine that you only had one chance to connect with them through your writing. And when this person reads your message, it's going to activate the change they've been waiting for, the transformation, the healing, whatever it is that you do. Thinking of all of that, I want you to answer this question. What would you say? If you knew it would be received openly, what would you love for that person to know? Now, go set a timer, five, 10 minutes, and go write whatever that message is. Writing like that is freedom. And I am here for it. And I can't wait to hear what showed up for you. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of The Written Compass. If you are loving this content, then please share this episode and tag me on Instagram at Shana Hartman underscore. And if you're wondering how you can implement the ideas I share here and really begin creating your amazing book, I want to connect with you even more. Head over to shanahartman.com slash the written compass to learn even more about not only writing your book, but truly experiencing your words. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.